Welcome to the Being Human UTU podcast, where Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas will discuss issues relative to the humanities and technology at Utah Tech University. And now your hosts for Being Human UTU podcast, Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas. Welcome to the Being Human Utah Tech podcast. We're going to be continuing with a theme that keeps coming up in our lives wherever we turn, chat GPT. Doesn't that seem to follow us everywhere these days, Jim? It does, but I, um, and I'm almost, I'm tired of it, maybe, <laughs> almost, almost there. <laughs> but I, I, I keep hearing that I, I can't be tired of it, it's just going to be around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, quickly set the stage here. Um, when we interviewed a few people after the DHU uh, 7 conference up in Cedar City, um, our guest today, um, Julie McCown, who's an assistant professor of English at Southern Utah University, one of the things that you said, Julie, was that you had taken all of your assignment prompts and put them into chat GPT to see what came out. So what was that experience like? And what were some of the things that you found out when you did that? Yeah, it was for me, it was exciting, a little kind of intimidating and scary to see the what it had, what it was able to produce. Because before that, I hadn't really heard that much about chat GPT. And, you know, when I first signed up for it, I'm like, I'm going to put in my literacy narrative assignment prompt. And I honestly was shocked at how good the result was when I first got it. Uh, and I spent about five minutes prompt engineering it kind of going paragraph by paragraph asking it to elaborate, add examples, change the tone. And in about five minutes of work, I had a passable, like if a student turned in that draft, I would have been like, cool, that's a decent first draft. Uh, and I also found out that that five minute draft, when I put it through uh, the GPT detector, GPT zero, it said, absolutely, that was written by a human. When not a single word was written by me, it was all chat GPT. So it was kind of this watershed moment almost where it was like, oh my gosh, it can do this. You know, I had no idea that AI had gotten that advanced. And it's just kind of, it got me really excited and energized and, you know, really intrigued and wanting to figure out what are its capabilities and how is it going to change the way we think about writing and teaching writing. When you say exciting and energized, I'm taking it that that was a positive reaction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I know that's not a universal thing. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of people, when they hear about ChatGPT, what it can do, like when I tell them about, you know, what I was able to create, like the student essays I was able to create with it, you know, people are either like a few people are like me and get really excited and we really nerd out and geek out over it. But I know there's a lot of anxiety that people have. Uh, people don't view it as kind of positive. Not everyone views it as positively as I do. Well, I, I think I'm trying to ride the energy off of people who are excited about it. I'm definitely someone that, that embraced the anxiety of it. Like, I mean, I think the first spiral I went was, well, do I need to look for a new job? And then um, the second yeah. spiral was, well, will students stop writing? And um, I know these are very extreme reactions, but I think people do have those. And so that's yeah. I'm trying to write off of that that your excitement because that mm -hmm. was not my initial reaction for sure. 
I think you're absolutely right. And I think those those kind of initial anxiety reactions, I think, are are good and are valid. Um, you know, I think my my answer is, are we going to lose our jobs? No, uh, our jobs are going to change. You know, the way we teach writing absolutely has to change. Um, and I think, you know, the question, are students going to stop writing again? No, they're going to have to keep writing is just the way they're writing is going to change. Um, and I think it is, you know, I think it's kind of hard to overstate like how much it's going to change. I think we're right on the cusp of it. Uh, and so it's not quite clear exactly in what ways writing instruction will change or how we'll have to change students' ways of thinking about writing. But it, it, it is it is kind of a monumental change we're on the cusp of. Let me just um, follow up with that particular assignment, because this is kind of uh, raises some concerns that Jim and I have been talking about. And that is, you know, the nature of that assignment, a literacy narrative, there's a element of explaining, describing, um, letting us know the importance of a human experience in a literacy narrative. It's not like, say, summarize this article, where there's an objective quality to that. There's information that is in that article, and we want students to accurately represent that and talk about the main point or the thesis that's in that article. But a literacy narrative, like I said, is asking for a narrative about human experience. And so, again, if I'm on the cynical side of this, it's when something like that happens, ChatGPT is not um, reluctant to provide you with this as a, well, like you said, you know, ChatGPT wrote every word of it, a, a false or an artificial representation of a human experience. Mm -hmm. I just have some concerns about that, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're getting at. Um, for me, like just speaking for me personally, when I was having it, when I was working with ChatGPT to create this AI literacy narrative, it struck me that I was having way more fun doing that. And I was way more engaged as a writer working with AI to write a fake literacy narrative than I would have been if I wrote it myself. Um, which I realize is kind of weird. Maybe I'm just an outlier like that. But I think part of what I also found when I was writing that essay is I realized, you know, a lot of why I was able to do that in just five minutes is because, like, you know, I have a Ph.D. in English. I've been teaching composition for over uh, for over 10 years. Like, I know what good writing looks like. I know. So I was able to very easily prompt it and tell it, oh, do this or change this. Or I want to see a, an anecdote about a story you wrote. And so I was able to inject my humanity into it through that prompt engineering. Um, and I think that's something that honestly will have to teach students how to do because it dawned on me i was able to do that super easily but i would assume that a lot of my freshman composition writers would have a greater difficulty mastering that task because they don't have the same level of expertise in writing that i do yeah and that makes a lot of sense and and that kind of connects with um we made reference to we had a Sponsored by our Center for Teaching and Learning here at Utah Tech, we had a, a roundtable on ChatGPT on Monday, and um, one of the programs that talked about using it, um, they are in the process of creating a lot of um, map, mapping projects for the national parks, um, creating maps for, for tourists and visitors, and one of the students involved in that project said that, you know, 
ChatGPT and OpenAI has allowed her to create 3D buildings, 3D you know, images of buildings much more quickly than ever before. And then very similar to what you just described, she then goes and it's, it's kind of like a basic structure of a building. And then she goes in and she adds the specific characteristics to it. She adds the detail to it, but just the actual creation of that building was something that she said was a much more rigorous process before, you know, ChatGPT was able to to do that for her. So I can see the connection there. So in, in hearing your description, you were the one providing ChatGPT with some human experiences to then write about. Yeah, yeah. I had to basically prompt it to sound more human because when you enter and an, when you enter a prompt in to start with, the first thing that it that ChatGPT spits out is very formulaic, very vague, doesn't have details. Like it sounds like a robot, right? And so you have to prompt it to sound more human. Um, and I think kind of the point you are raising, Randy. I think that's one of the benefits of ChatGPT for writing is it can handle some of the grunt work, so to speak. It can kind to take care of some of the lower order concerns and it frees students up to do some of those higher order writing concerns they can focus on other areas since they're not obsessed so much with transitions or with grammar or whatever one that's something that as i've been looking into it uh, i have been thinking and reflecting upon voice i mean the concept that an individual student. I, I, in some weird way, now that I'm looking at student essays, I'm sort of looking fondly at awkwardly worded sentences with like, oh, I know that you did that. <laughs> I know the computer didn't do that. Um, and, and so what I wonder as an instructor, I mean, how I can keep like you're doing, keep infusing that human aspect into our assignments, but also to get our students to sort of see the value in their own voice, even though mm -hmm. the chat GPT or any AI writing will give them that underlying structure. Mm -hmm. I almost think just kind of showing them, because I think students would be able to, like if you had each of them, you know, create an initial bare bones essay with chat GPT and they could compare it, they'd probably realize all of these essays sound exactly the same. They sound like just a bunch of robots talking and then you can be talking about how to add that human touch, how to add those human details. Um, and technically, I know you said like there's some idiosyncrasies in student writing that it's like, oh, you know, a student wrote that. You can actually prompt chat GPT to change the tone or like I was having it rewrite a paragraph, you know, like in one instance, I said, write it like you were a writer from The New Yorker. And then I said, OK, revise it, but revise it as if you were an English language learner who didn't have a firm command of English. And it was able to rewrite it with kind of broken English with those kind of like awkward phrasing that would maybe look like, oh, surely a student did that. But no, it was I told ChatGPT to do that. So my anxiety is back there. It's, 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 <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's okay. well, so now I can't. I, I mean, I think that's that is a funny thing when I talk to instructors. I mean, some of them are like, oh, I know. I know this was written by AI. And I'm like, I don't. I don't know. 
I can't tell. I, I just had a conversation. <laughs> I had a colleague come into my office earlier today with a paper saying, hey, Julie, do you think this was written by ChatGPT? I, I don't know. It seems. And, you know, we were kind of talking about it and I was saying, well, you know, one of the hallmarks of it's a chat GPT essay is the quotes that it makes up tend to be total nonsense. Um, but it kind of raises the specter of if we're always trying to catch students using chat GPT, there's that possibility that maybe we'll falsely accuse a student because it could just be like, especially novice student writers tend to write formulaically, you know, mm -hmm. they tend to write things that sound very formulaic, sound very, dare I say, robotic. And so I almost think like trying to catch students out, you know, like, oh, did you write this using chat GPT? That that has its own dangers to it. Definitely, definitely. And I, I was chuckling earlier in your discussion about voice because one of the the points that came up in the roundtable on Monday was one gentleman suggested, and I think he's absolutely right, that now we're going to have to be a lot more careful about phishing emails, that all of a sudden the voice of phishing emails is going to sound a lot more authentic and all of those things that we're able to do to catch phishing emails, the bad grammar and the lack of specificity that ChatGPT may be able to, well, I, I don't even think we'd put a may in there, we'll be able to change that. So <laughs> phishing, to, to add to your anxiety, Jim, phishing emails are going to be better <laughs> and, and student work just because it's bad might not be authentic human work. This podcast is supposed to be therapy for me. <laughs> so I can work out my ideas and now it's just, it's, it's getting worse. It's the opposite. It's the, the opposite. opposite. <laughs> well, Julie, to follow along with the well, comment that you just, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that's part of what I think is exciting about this kind of generative AI revolution is it really is making us rethink everything about writing, um, rethink like how we value writing, how we assess it, um, you know, even and I, I love the example of now we're going to have to rethink how we you know, detect phishing emails because, you know, what we were relying on was our knowledge of, you know, syntax and voice. And if that's no longer there, we have to adapt. Yes, definitely. Definitely something that, and, and, and I like that, that perspective. I think that that's something that can be a positive, something mm -hmm. that you can take out of this in a, in a positive way. I wanted to follow along with the comment that you made about your colleague visiting you. Um, what have you in your department or at your institution, have you, how far down the path of creating any kind of policy about instructor statements about the use of chat GPT? Has that happened at SUU or have you developed one individually? What's kind of the status of that? Yeah, so there's not a university-wide policy on ChatGPT. Um, there's not one in the English department. Um, I'm not sure if other departments on campus have been discussing what they want their department-based policy to be. Uh, we have had some like open forums and lunch and learn um, sort of seminars uh, that I have been participating in trying to quell people's anxieties, um, you know, mainly just trying to introduce people to the idea of what ChatGPT is, trying to dispel the notion that it's just a cheating mechanism. Um, but for me personally, um, my own kind of unofficial ChatGPT policy this semester um, has been like, I, I haven't incorporated it fully into my pedagogy yet because I'm still kind of mulling over how I want to 
do that. You know, some of the ethical issues of like allowing students the ability to opt out of using ChatGPT if they don't want to use it for privacy concerns. Um, but my own approach has been, you know, I realize that yes, students are probably going to use ChatGPT in my classes. And if they use it well, I probably won't know. And I'm okay with that. Um, and so my policy for when students use it poorly uh, is basically, you know, I don't like, I don't penalize them. I just have a discussion with them about, hey, you know, I think you're using AI to write this essay. I'm cool with you using AI, but let's talk about why you didn't use it correctly here. Because uh, oftentimes for my essays, you know, if students are using, trying to use ChatGPT to quote unquote cheat on their essay, it's not going to work because they're not giving the level of specificity I was asking for in the prompt or GPT will hallucinate and make up quotes. I love that they call it hallucinating when I it like makes that up terms. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so like I talked to them about that. I explained like, hey, you know, all these quotes that chat GPT gave you, they're just completely made up. They're not real. Um, and what I found is like, you know, students are kind of buying into the popular media narrative that chat GPT will write your papers for you and it will help you cheat. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to sort of tell students, no, it's actually in many cases to for them to use chat GPT to complete my essay is just as much work as if they were writing it themselves. And so it's it's really kind of stressing this idea that it's just another mode of writing, at least for my writing assignments. Are you thinking about uh uh, formally introducing an assignment similar to what you were describing earlier, where you have them bring in the bare bones of what ChatGPT um, gives them, and then you kind of start with that as sort of the outline phase of the writing process, and then just going from there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I really want to bring that into my um, English 1010 first year write, introductory writing class. Um, I'm hoping to have that in the fall. Um, part of it is I'm, you know, kind of wanting to think about what exactly the parameters of that assignment would be. But I think you also have to like I'm also cautious of forcing every student to use ChatGPT because I know I've come across some people, both students and colleagues who are hesitant to sign up for it. It's that kind of like paranoid thing. I don't want to give them my email and my phone number. I don't want them having that information. Um, but then there's also kind of legitimate concerns about data privacy um, that, you know, I think it's worth respecting students if they want to opt out. Um, and so before I roll out a chat GPT assignment, I have to have a good alternative assignment if and when I have students who do not, for whatever reason, who do not want to use chat GPT. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense um, and um, kind of informs some of the things that I'm thinking about that maybe in that scenario, you know, it is develop an outline that you bring to class that we work on. And if you want to use chat GPT to develop that outline, great. If not, then you can just develop the outline yourself. Um, again, referring back to our conversation on Monday. And, and by the way, you know, it sounds like what we're doing here at Utah Tech is pretty similar to what you're doing there. Um, at SUU, and that mm -hmm. is having these conversations. I can't 
can't really emphasize enough how important I felt it was to have that conversation on Monday and to continue to have these conversations campus-wide about what our colleagues are doing, what our colleagues' concerns are, what our colleagues' experiences have been with chat GPT and open AI, because it's just really, really beneficial. But the privacy part was something that really came up. And one of our graduate students, Rachel Huntsman Baldwin, is actually doing a project on this where she kind of dug into the privacy policies of open AI. And one of the things that worries her is, you know, when they talk about personal information, that once they have aggregated and de-identified um, personal information, if there are problems with that, even in the, even in the terms of use, you know, OpenAI is saying, well, they're not going to disaggregate or identify that information if there's any kind of problems that arise in that. So, you know, we're going to be learning. I mean, intellectual property came up as a topic as well in that forum, but privacy is certainly something that I think, you know, has not been thought all the way through yet. And, and, and unfortunately, probably going to be, you know, it's great when we say, well, we'll learn as we go. As writing and, and composition teachers, that's one thing. But when it comes to, you know, privacy breaches and, you know, loss of personal uh, information, that's not really a, a, a topic where you want to learn as you go, right? Because the, the consequences could be very, very negative. One yeah, and I think that's yeah. one of the one of the reasons why you'd want to move kind of slowly and why I've been kind of slow to incorporate chat GPT into my teaching is because I'm I'm wanting to think about a lot of those ethical issues and kind of you know see how the conversation changes because of course it's changing super rapidly because now we have uh, GPT four um, that you can get if you do the GPT plus and pay twenty bucks a month you can get the GPT four which not to like increase your anxiety, Jim, but like it's like even more like the, the capabilities of GPT-4. I have not had a chance to play with it yet, but, you know, it's, you know, reportedly even more advanced and highly skilled and adept at everything. So, you know, it, that, you know, that might change the, the conversation itself. Well, it, I, I do appreciate these conversations are happening now, I, I, I mean, I, I, I was younger, but I remember when the internet came out in itself and people were just so excited about its capability that I don't, I know that people were reflecting on it, but I mean, I think about privacy and I, I don't think people thought through the, the, what privacy looked like through the internet. And I always kind of look back now on my children's experience versus my experience in high school, my child could very well have a lot of their high school on the internet. Um, and I'm so glad that mine is not. <laughs> and so, so <laughs> privacy, it, I'm glad we're having these conversations. But like you, you said, I mean, I, I think in the panel, they did say that the, the leap from what, three or 3.5 to four um, chat GPT was, um, you know, this huge leap. Um, and so the capabilities are only going to, I was thinking that it was, so what are we going to do when it's, is it just going to do my life for me at Chad GPT 20? It's just sort of, a, <laughs> it's just, it knows everything. I can just go and, you know, sip uh, margaritas on the beach while the <laughs> Chad GPT does my life. But um, it, yeah, I mean, I'm. I'm okay, everybody. I'm, uh, <laughs> my anxiety isn't too bad. I just—it's good to talk through it, but also sometimes it's—it's 
it's a little, I mean, I, I don't think I'm alone. I think there are a lot of people that are like me that just don't have their initial reaction. Wasn't embracing the, the optimism because it, um, because there's a lot of, of things that can go wrong and there's a lot of things mm-hmm. that it can improve, you know, and, and, and so in the end, I mean, these conversations, I'm glad that they're having, a, I came in a little hot early, early on. I'm like, I'm so tired of this conversation. I, it's just, I think it's driven by anxiety, but it also is, it's important to have these conversations because it, it is going to change the way that we approach. And, and it's made me more self-reflective. Can I, can I bring in a topic that I've been thinking about? Absolutely. Okay. okay. So when I entered into my master's program, um, one of the first articles that I was assigned was David, I looked it up right now, uh, David Bartholomew's Inventing the University, which in composition theory, it's one of those articles that, that a lot of graduate students, it was like, in, it was in, written in the 80s. And it was this concept that we're teaching students a particular type of mostly privileged way of communicating. And I, I, I reflected back on that and I thought all my experiences so far with JetGBT now I was not as familiar with how it can change dialects or, or vernaculars, but there was this idea that I was thinking ChatGPT is only reinforcing sort of a privileged voice in academics. And I, that is a little troubling to me because I know that conversation comes up quite a bit is how much are we reinforcing sort of this is the correct way to communicate. And often that correct way is a privileged way of communicating. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's that's so fascinating because um, one of the things I was just recently playing around with on chat GPT, because um, at, at SUU on Friday, we had kind of a, a chat GPT playground where we were helping other faculty, like running their prompts through the program, seeing what it spat out. Um, and I was, I was trying to demonstrate how it could change tones. Um, and so I, I asked ChatGPT to revise an essay to sound more pessimistic, and which I had done before and it had done it and it had you know obeyed my command and did it. But this time it had this new guardrail where it told me I can't do that. It said something like as an AI language model, I cannot revise this to sound more pessimistic. Um, and it gave me like this kind of almost lecture on positivity and why, like the why you shouldn't be wow. pessimistic. That really scares uh, me if, it, if the AI can't be pessimistic. <laughs> Yeah, but no, there's a workaround because then I realized that it must be, I don't know what it is, but there must be like some words or phrases that when you tell it, when you input it into GPT, it like raises the guardrails and it says like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Um, But then I asked it to revise the essay to sound like anxious and fraught and it did. And it revised the essay like full of like these really dark moments of existential dread and fear. And it got quite dark. And I thought that just was so fascinating to me that it refused on ethical grounds to be pessimistic. It also refused to be sarcastic, but it was fine being like full of anxiety and existential dread was a-okay by it. It was like, okay, sure, I will revise your essay to sound super dark. And so there's some interesting ethical questions in terms of those guardrails that OpenAI has on ChatGPT. Well, I I wonder if psychologists are 
getting really excited because I mean, it just it sounds like you're analyzing the development of a, a being like I mean, it's just like a toddler now. It's like uh, I'm happy all the t- I'm angry all the time. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I'm angry. It, it just, it feels like that of understanding its development and its boundaries. Um, but that still scares me. I don't want the computer to think that way. <laughs> no, and, and, and the, you, you raise a great point when you talk about this reinforcement of, of, of a specific voice because, you know, chat GPT is going to, to learn as it goes um, certainly we can say, you know, sound this way, sound that way, but it's still going to be um, using a lot of the information, using the information that it gets. And a lot of that information is going to come from, particularly if we put a, you know, $19.99 a month uh, price tag on it, the voices that it's going to be hearing are going to be voices that are from, you know, very specific um, parts of our our society. And I think that's like privacy concerns. I think this um, privileged voice concern is another one we're going to have to keep our eye on as we go forward in this process. But back to your article, you know, we have to keep an eye on that privileged voice is what we hear in the, in the nature of what we do as university professors, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, it, it's, that's not a new concern to us with chat GPT. Maybe it's just more of an intensification of that concern. Julie, let me ask you, um, you talked about using it in um, your first year writing classes. Are there any other ideas that you've had about what could be beneficial for your students um, in terms of guiding them to the capabilities there. And, and I know we've talked about, you know, you're probably not going to require them to use it, but what are some other things that you can introduce to your students in relationship to chat GPT, do you think? Well, I think, you know, some part of introducing it to students would be talking about this idea of like prompt engineering, um, you know, talking about because, you know, most of them are probably just going to default on, you know, I'm just going to tell it do this and then they'll accept whatever the first result is. Um, and so I think we have to give students sort of a framework or a scaffolding for how to use chat GPT, um, you know, and it would, could be, you know, just as simple as kind of walking them through or kind of, you know, modeling for them what that looks like and sort of showing them that framework. Um, but I, I think that's going to be kind of the first step is, you know, really teaching students how to use it and then also teaching them how to evaluate it. Um, Cause that's something that even like open AI acknowledges, like when you log into chat GPT, like it's saying like, you know, we don't like it, it could make it could make stuff up the stuff that it could tell you is false you know as we, we mentioned you know it can hallucinate um and so you know it's also going to change our conversations about like information literacy um you know they're going to have to you know they can accept what chat gpt is saying as being totally true so you're also going to have to teach them how to you know like curate and edit the information that chat gpt spits back out so um you know i've even heard of assignments where like professors will enter in like will on for the professor will create an assignment like a sort of very basic essay and then have the students edit it and correct it and fix factual errors and 
kind of use that as a way to, you know, have that kind of information literacy education with it. Yeah, that that sounds really that sounds really fascinating, and and, and I think that's right. I think that's a, a valuable exercise to be doing um, with this. Um, one of the experiences that I've had just in doing working with this on my own, one of my colleagues said that he in his um, business class, um, you know, used Chat GPT and asked, you know, what are some you know, startup ideas for businesses. And um, what you just described is exactly what he described doing. He had to go through, he, got a li- he said he got a list of about 30 and he had to go through and see which ones were legitimate, which ones were hallucinations and kind of mm-hmm. work that way. But then he said, oh, these are great ideas. And I did something similar. You know, one of the things I asked my, my 2010 students to do is to propose a research project in an area of uh, interest of, uh, that they have. And, of course, the phrase and the kind of the motto that I have is, you know, look for the gaps in the research. Look for stuff that hasn't been explored as much as other things. And so I put in uh, uh, just the question of what are the gaps in research on cell phone use in the classroom and again, what you just described is what I kind of got. I got some really decent prompts, but I also got some ones that were just not beneficial to a student looking into researching this topic at all. And so, you know, mm-hmm. this idea of curating what they have, uh, what we get, um, working with it in, in, in that way, I think could be beneficial both to us as instructors as well as students. And um, I, I like that part of it, but I also get, you know, a little bit anxious about that, too, because it could substitute mm. now for, you know, I have, a, I have an assignment to help them find the gaps in the research. And it's called, you know, producing an annotated bibliography. And if yeah. students all of a sudden see chat GPT as a way around that, then all of a sudden I've got a problem because if, if you're not, you know reviewing, you know, and reading and understanding the crucial um, sources on any particular topic, it's not just going to be that maybe you come up with a not so unique idea, but your understanding isn't going to be, you know, at the level that it needs to be to, to produce academic thought and academic writing. Yeah, no, I think that's that is kind of a good thing to point out, um, you know, because I think that's like my, you know, I, I tend to be very optimistic about ChatGPT and its potential, um, but it's also always kind of in my mind, you know, if students can bypass use ChatGPT to bypass the learning that an assignment was designed to do, um, that to me is a problem because then the students not doing the learning, they're not um, sort of progressing in that way. Um, and I think that's going to be like one of the big problems that we're going to have to address in the very near future is, you know, we're either going to have to, you know, change and tweak our writing assignments so that students can't bypass the learning with chat GPT, or we're going to have to explore other forms of assessment besides writing, um, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's It's a difficult thing in some cases, but, you know, I think it's it's a good chance for us to sort of reflect on our pedagogy. Definitely. Well, there were so many things I was thinking about with that. I mean, I, I've just assigned a, an annotated bibliography and I was telling my students that, 
you know, I, this summary that you're creating for your source is not for me. It's for you. This is for you to demonstrate that you looked through the article, that you understood some of the main points that you, and so you're, you're going through the activity of writing for your own under your learning process. And unfortunately, if a student would, would view chat GPT as a, Oh, well, I'm just, you know, checking a box in this assignment. It's not because I want to understand the article. Um, that, that, becomes, uh, all right, well, I guess we're, are we going to have them writing it in class? And so that I know mm -hmm. that you read the article in this period of time, and then you're, you're writing your summary, you know, handwritten uh, or typed up in your computer with the, the internet locked out. Uh, and, and so that, that is something as an instructor, I, I'm, I'm, I didn't have to think about a year ago, or <laughs> I wasn't thinking about a year ago, but now I am, it's all good. But it, it's not what I expected. There's also with my anxiety yeah. as I analyze myself, it's just, it's a, if I'm honest with myself, it's a degree of laziness. I, I've, I've been comfortable with the way that I've taught teaching. I'm comfortable with how I instruct students in their writing. And now there's this, this big change that I have to adjust to that I think, oh, you know, if I... I never had to think a student was going to fake a summary somehow. I, it's, it was either I was going to go through, turn it in, and it, it was either plagiarism or they wrote it themselves. And, and if there was an in-between, I, I, <laughs> that was just not something that I envisioned. So. Yeah, I think it is. I think a lot of us get sort of complacent with our, our pedagogy. Like I'm, I'm guilty of that too, where it's just I've been like, hey, this has been working for 12 years, and all of a sudden – it doesn't work anymore with chat GPT. And that's, that's not always a fun realization to have. No, I was, uh, there was this part of me in graduate school that was kind of looking forward to that point when I was just sort of phoning it in, in a good way. <laughs> so it was like, and then I, GPT I, comes along. Yeah. Just like a, that cut and paste moment where I'm like, okay, I know how to do this and how to teach this course. I can, I can do it pretty easily. And now I'm like, oh, now I got to gut my syllabus again and figure it out all over again. It's good. It's learning. It's good. But there's <laughs> there's a little bit of uh, frustration that I got to work harder, but, you know, it's okay. Well, well that was, that was a, a, the first, that was a lesson that I learned, kind of my first experience with ChatGPT and learning um, a lesson about my pedagogy was I've, I've used this particular um, study for several semesters. And one of the things they have to do is they have to read the seminal article on the study and talk about the findings. And, you know, um, a lot of it is reporting what's in the article, but then also I, I offer them the opportunity to, you know, choose the, the interpretations that are offered that they think are the most valid. And this past semester, I started getting from students these interpretations of the findings that sounded that they were written fine and they sounded like a voice of academic writing, but they weren't exactly right. It was a surprising mm -hmm. finding that this study had and they weren't getting it. And all of a sudden I started to hear that from several students and I went back and looked and not only was I hearing it from several students, I was hearing it written pretty much the same way. And so, of course, you know, I went to ChatGPT and typed in, you know, what are the findings of this study? And that's what I got back. So, you know, just doing that, just asking them that and to present their findings in that way 
it's something I'm no longer going to be able to do because that's a path, like we've said, that they found a way for ChatGPT to get them around that. And so my pedagogy then has to address that, whether it means, you know, like you're talking about alternative ways to demonstrate their learning using a different um, approach to um, engaging with the source something has to change. And that was, that was, yeah, that was my first real experience with knowing that my students were using chat GPT. They may have been using it all semester and I didn't know, but that's when it kind of came back to me. And, and yeah, it's a, it's an important moment of learning for me. And that's what I'm trying to, that's the attitude I'm trying to take is what can I learn about my pedagogy and how can I improve it? Knowing that this is going to be a reality in the world that we live in. I think that's a great way to look at it. That's what we're, that's what we're suggesting. That's what you, you need to develop a mantra about your pedagogy, Jim, <laughs> that you can say at your morning yoga. And mm -hmm. I hope that that will help. I'm just breathing in deep and then <sighs> it's going to, it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. It definitely is going to be okay. Um, Julie, I know you need to run and go and teach um, uh, some students. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great conversation and a conversation that's going to continue for amongst us uh, in the field of academia and teaching for a long time. I'm ready for it. Great. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm ready for it too. Thank yeah. you so much for y'all for having me on. I, I always love the chance to to nerd out and talk about talk about this kind of stuff in chat GPT. It's it really energizes me. So thank you for the lovely conversation. And thank you for your optimism. It does help. <laughs> yes, it's always better to be optimistic, yeah. especially because chat GPT will not revise your paper to be pessimistic. <laughs> yes. so. Chat GPT will not be optimistic. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. Um, as we've said at the beginning, I'll kind of put out there at the end too, um, Jim, this just is a conversation we're going to continue to have. It's just not going to go away. Yeah, and it, it's good. I, I think, you know, talking it through, it's this, this idea that I, I think adjustment is good. And if I can get past some of the sort of deep philosophical issues that I think I have with the technology based on the idea that, you know, I want to see a distinctly human creation. And if it's assisted too much with the technology, I, I feel like both learning and authentic art is not happening. But when I can get past that or we can deal with that, because this is not the first time that technology might co-opt those abilities, I, I, I think we can adjust. And, you know, one of your last comments in there that I was thinking about was that, you know, as a teacher, the, especially in higher ed, I, I don't love being the the parent. I don't love being the police officer that, that has to be like, I know how you cheat. I, I know if you snuck out. And... I like the going into the classroom and saying, how are we going to learn better today? And so when we get these conversations going, I'm hoping that it, that it becomes about how do we use this new technology to learn better as opposed to I'm going to keep trying to make sure that you don't cheat because that's that doesn't energize me as an instructor if I'm always just being the 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 guard 
You know, I, I honestly do not love, I think it's really important, but I don't love seeing turn it in percentages on, on the side because then when I see a turn it in percentage that's at 80%, I'm like, oh, here comes that conversation I need to have with the student. That's not my favorite part about the, the job. And so if I can get past that and if we as instructors can get past that AI writing, it can be something we can work with as opposed to it being a, a thing that we're constantly trying to get ahead to, so the students aren't breaking the rules. Uh, but Yeah, I think you echo the sentiments of a lot of us that that is our, the least favorite part of our job, no question. Well, um, we are done with another episode. For my colleague Jim Hendigas, this is Randy Jasmine. Please join us for the next episode. This has been the Being Human UTU podcast with Dr. Randy Jasmine and Dr. Jim Hindigas. Please follow and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. From Utah Tech University, this is the Being Human UTU podcast.